0: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 podcast. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guaranteed, that means real experts are checking your sneakers. Every stitch down to the sole. They even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guaranteed. Visit ebay.com for terms. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi
1: Are you class?
2: on? donate chat What? Charles Darwin.
1: The Nerds is where it's at.
2: Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Graber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, we've got a wonderful NBA show for you all. Lots to talk about, but the obvious starting point and what has been the biggest story in basketball since we returned from the All-Star break is the fact that James Harden is now a Philadelphia 76er. And James Harden has looked quite good as a Philadelphia 76er through a couple of games, and they have looked quite good as a team overall. So, we'll just start there, Logan. What have your thoughts been on what we've seen from the New Look Sixers so far?
1: I mean, it's been super impressive. Like, it's... I think it's everything we could have hoped for uh, that this move would bring them. I mean, Philly has been so desperate in needing this you know, top 10 level talent perimeter creator. And now that they have him, it just, I I don't know, man. They, they seemed unstoppable. Like anytime, uh, James Harden is, is a basketball matrix. He's a basketball, just, he breaks the game in the terms, like any switch you would get off Embiid, Harden was firing that ball into him. Um, and you know, Cat couldn't get back on defense. Anytime there's a switch, like Harden is a caliber of playmaker where he is going to attack those. He... The flow of the offense didn't look like it was messed up at all. They were, you know, setting off-ball screens for Harden, and it was flowing like that. And then you just get into the the ease of the pick and roll with him and Embiid, man. The uh, ability for Harden, it's so easy for him to get into the lane and get to that floater. Well, then you're you're in jail. You're in jail. And it just feels like defenses are in jail the entire time when Harden and Embiid are on the floor. It's, it's purgatory for your defense with these two. And I, I just, I think the big question... Um, you know, that we're going to come to uh, with, with these two as a pairing is are the Philadelphia 76ers the front runners in the East? And is this the best, I don't know, defensive, is this the best offensive duo in basketball? And I don't know, man. The answers to both of those questions may be yes. Like, I, Milwaukee's very interesting, Miami is very interesting, but it's scary, man. Like, this is in, I don't know, Carson. My takeaway is this is as an unstoppable an offensive duo in basketball as there is today. And I think it's point blank. I think the Sixers, and I don't want to jump the gun because I am a guy who likes to jump the gun. Sure. The Sixers may be my title favorite or you know, to get to the title out east. Again, we're going to need to see Brooklyn at full strength. I still believe in them. Um, I'm hopeful for Miami, but come playoff time, and this is something that I've been adamant about, this is a bit of a tangent, I've been adamant about with Miami this entire season, watching them in, in crucial crunch time moments and just during the flow of a game. Offense comes hard to Miami, and that is just something that is inherently true. I don't care how good Tyler Hero has been. I don't care how good Kyle Lowry has been getting has been at getting late-game buckets, as good as Jimmy has been at getting late-game buckets. Offense comes hard to Miami, and I, I just wonder come playoff time if their defense is going to be good enough you know, to limit because their offense has let them down at points this season. Like that that Hornets game a, a couple, uh, about a week back, shouldn't have been there. They just could not get offense going late. And with the Sixers, it's effortless. It's easier with Brooklyn. Even with what Boston's doing, Carson, I, I, I'm lower on Miami than I have been throughout the season despite them holding down the number one seed. And I'm arguably higher on, you know, Philly, Boston. I know this is a bit of a tangent, but just kind of running down my contenders out east. Philly might be my number one out east now, um, but I'm definitively kind of I'm kind of off Miami and I'm open. I, I've opened my reins to. I'm not saying Miami can't get there. I, I still I think it's wide open out east. I think it's I think it's the wild wild east now. But um, I, I have officially kind of moved off Miami as my favorite, and I'm I, I am actively exploring as to who my, my next team is. And I think Philly, as of right now through two games with all the question marks we have about other teams, Philly's probably my number one out east now.
2: I mean, it's an exceptional team, obviously, and Harden has played damn near flawless basketball through two games. I mean, he has had, I would say, a pretty clear facilitate-first mindset, and you see that with the 14 assists a night, and yet he's given you 28 a game on absurd efficiency because he's shooting 58% from the field and 57% from deep and is getting to the line a bunch. And he's only taking 13 shots a game so far, giving you that kind of scoring production, which is, again, unfathomable. And no, that's not sustainable. But I do think that this is the role that Harden is going to play here, right? Obviously, when he wants to be, he's an unstoppable scorer. But I think also, as we've seen him do throughout his time in Brooklyn as well, he's as much a lead facilitator, if not more so, when he has a lot of good offensive talent around him. He is the captain of the unit. And there is a lot of good offensive talent around him, and it's obviously all about Embiid first and foremost because he's one of the most unstoppable dudes in basketball right now, but to have Tobias Harris and Tyrese as your third and fourth options, that is a scary level of offensive ability, of shot creation, of shot making that those guys bring as well. So there's a crazy high ceiling here. And listen, I mean, so far it has felt like what I anticipated it would be, and that's what I said. You are adding to your unstoppable force on the interior an unstoppable force on the perimeter. And when James Harden is dialed in, that's what he is. And he's obviously been dialed in. He wants to be in Philly. He's even been pretty engaged defensively and making plays there. He had five steals against the Knicks. It's not a reflection of consistent defensive engagement, but I mean, he's making plays on that end. And he just very clearly wants to play his best basketball right now. And when he's doing that, I mean, the guy especially is a bona fide top 10 player in the world. No questions about it.
1: No, that's exactly... That's what I think the biggest thing about this move to Philly... Um, I'm glad you said that. The biggest thing about this move to Philly is Harden gives a shit. You can see it. Yeah. Like, like and Harden's a guy who has been known to mail it in. He mailed it in these last few games in Brooklyn because he wanted it out. Yeah. At the, end of, at the end of his tenure in Houston, he was mailing it in. If James Harden gives a shit the rest of the way, if he can keep his little, you know, his little drama off the court, if he can keep that up to the side and limited, which again, like... I don't think it's going to be an issue because Harden like you said he looks happy yeah he's engaged engaged Harden is a scary beast and I also think to your point about the other guys here not only do you have exceptional I won't say exceptional not only do you have some really good isolation scores in Maxi and Harris to rely on um at any point which just makes the flow of this offense so much more deadly by adding James Harden you have eliminated bad possessions in games mm-hmm. the bad Tobias Harris Uh, inefficient possessions. You've eliminated... You've just eliminated... You're getting good offense every possession. And again, using Tobias Harris as just a catch-and-shooter, I'm not saying that's his best role, but you're getting the most efficient version of Tobias Harris by utilizing him like that. Um, So I'll ask you point blank if you don't want to jump the gun. Who's your favorite out east, Carson? Is it Philly?
2: I got to see more than two games. I will not draw any conclusions off of two games. But what I said was when they made the move... I think that they're second for me because this is a team with a very solid defensive foundation should be top 10 on that end with depth that I like. And now you have two insane dudes offensively. And again, really good support alongside them. I still think if Milwaukee reaches its Mm -hmm. maximum defensive ceiling, then you have a big three there. That is remarkable. You have obviously a top five player on the planet, the best two way force that we have in the game. You have really, really good role players, who probably surpass anything else in the conference. And there's just an effortlessness of offense when things are really going right for them. So I think I would still probably give the edge to Milwaukee, but I mean again, we've seen two games. Like I'm not going to say definitively this is how good this basketball team is because of two games.
1: I might, just because I'm Yeah, because you're Logan cause, Camden. Because that's me. I like drawing conclusions off of uh, one thing that I see. Um I guess I would agree with you defensively. I don't think they can reach the ceiling of a Milwaukee. But I will say, Carson, I know he was not here for the finals run last season. I really do think that the loss of DiVincenzo hurts this team permanently. Um, Again, I know he was not here for the run. I'm just... I don't know.
2: As one of America's biggest Dante DiVincenzo advocates, I can say... I just think the wing play that they're getting from Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton has been so damn good that it's not really going to matter.
1: I just think... Yeah, I would... I mean, they've been exceptional in playing their roles. I just think DiVincenzo, I just like his... Just having a fourth on-ball guy who can handle the rock competently and run your offense a little bit. I just liked having that more. I thought that was a bad move for Milwaukee, not to drudge up old stuff. Mm -hmm. I really have not liked what we've seen from Ibaka there. Like, I just do not think he brings all that much to this roster, but... Milwaukee's Milwaukee's an interesting pick just at where they are. I, I guess I would agree with you. A defensive apex, I don't think they can touch, but I mean it's just such a it's such a matchup nightmare. They do have the tools though. If you look at it matchup wise, I mean you can stick Drew Holiday on Harden <laughs> and you can pray that Giannis and, and Ibaka can slow Embiid in the game. Yeah, paint, but it's
2: I, nobody is stopping Joel Embiid. I mean
1: I would argue that uh, I would argue the only guy who can stop James Harden is himself.
2: I think that Drew Holiday is much more capable of making life hard on James Harden than basically any defensive big is in the NBA and mm-hmm. making it hard on Embiid. And obviously, nobody's stopping Embiid. I'm saying I don't think anybody is really making Joel Embiid uncomfortable right now. Like, there's just too many different ways to do it, dude. And again, the key thing has always been, okay, if Philly gets that elite perimeter initiator, what is this team going to look like? And I've talked a lot about them getting specifically a great pick-and-roll ball handler, and... They've had efficient pick-and-roll ball handlers like Seth Curry and Tyrese Maxey, but not that true bona fide superstar lead guy. And I've always thought that would be interesting because we don't think of Embiid as a pick-and-roll big because he's never been that. I mean, he's always been a post-first guy, and part of that has maybe been just stylistically right. He's not this crazy, fluid, dynamic, quick athlete, rolling to the bucket, flying high in the sky. And so you think that's a component, but also I think part of it has probably been personnel because we have seen that the Harden Embiid pick and roll is effectively unstoppable. I mean, even if, again, he's not flying to the hoop like Jared Allen or whatever, we did see him catch a lob against the Knicks, which I thought was pretty fun because you see Harden curl around and it looks like he's going to throw up a floater. He throws up a lob. Like, you don't have to be some freak athlete to do that. Joel Embiid is a good enough athlete to do that, and that is phenomenal, unstoppable offense. But also, like... You just have so many options, dude. The pick and pop. Well, Joel Embiid is one of the best jump shooting bigs that we've ever seen. Or he gets you with the pump fake and he attacks himself as a driver. Like, there's just no guarding that, dude. And so you have a guy who legitimately, for once, can really amplify Joel Embiid. And we're not going to get to a point in a playoff series where it's, oh man, well, Embiid's efficiency is going to take a hit because unfortunately everything has to run through him out of the post and like teams are doubling him and they're saying make other guys beat him and he's turning the ball over and he's forcing shots and he's not a good enough playmaker like that's not possible anymore there's too much offensive talent around him and you have one guy named James Harden who can initiate every possession and give you a chance at great offense every time out because yeah he is an unstoppable force as well damn near and yes we've seen the postseason dip from him these are two guys who are very dependent on free throw production and you think maybe you get a bit of a tighter whistle in the playoffs and maybe that could impact them a bit, but I just don't think it's significant enough when you're talking about this level of complementary offensive talent from the perimeter and the interior. I don't think anything else in the NBA is touching this duo right now. Like, I suppose you could say healthy LeBron and AD, but if we're talking purely about offense, I definitely don't think so.
1: Yeah, you know, maybe De'Aaron Fox and uh, DeMontis Sabonis. Yeah, I, I, I agree um, wholeheartedly. And I just, I, I know I said this to you. I think I saw this circulating on Twitter, too. Uh, this was not an original Logan Camden take. Yeah, man, Sixers games could be pretty unbearable to watch, though, bruh. All the whistles. Like, yeah. I thought very little of that um, Sixers-T-Wolves game. Guys are just getting sent to the line the entire time. Uh, another thing that makes them unstoppable, man, is the, I think, the complimentary talent, though, dude, because that is the thing. I know Harris and Maxie, using them as, like, solely off-ball guys isn't the best use of their abilities, right? Because they are guys who can mm-hmm. go out and serve buckets by themselves. But, I mean, in terms of, like, attacking off the dribble and stuff, like, I think Philly might be my favorite offense in in all the basketball after this, Not, probably next to Phoenix and Golden State, again, just because of the machine-likeness of those teams. But yeah. – in terms of having two guys you run offense through, I, I don't think it's, it's any better. I, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. Um, yeah, so barring Milwaukee, I'm probably, I am probably rocking with Philly. We'll, we'll, we'll get into the depths. Again, I think that this is the deepest East we've seen in a long time. Also, it's going to be really interesting too, Carson, because you look at um, the top teams out East. One of these teams is losing round one. I think that's an interesting yeah. debate that we should have at some point. That The Heat, Bulls, Sixers, Bucks, Celtics, you know, one of those teams is losing round one, yeah, and uh, it's kind of going to be heartbreaking for one of those teams, man, because there's a lot of big aspirations, or, or the Nets too. Yeah, they're not even in that mention. You the can Nets sell are out in the
2: Celtics, eight seed right now. Yeah, they got to get out of that spot quite fast.
1: One hundred percent.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, I think it's the best Eastern Conference that we've ever seen. Assuming that by the playoff time, everybody's healthy, and maybe it sounds like I'm saying that kind of casually, but to have five teams maybe six teams that feel like legitimate contenders that doesn't happen it certainly hasn't happened in the last 25 plus years I mean I don't think it happened in the Jordan days I don't think even if you look back to when it was like the glory days of the East in the 80s and you perennially had the Celtics and you had some of those great Bucks teams and great Sixers teams like I don't think there were ever this many really really good teams at once so it's very exciting and Yeah, I understand that there is this inherent skepticism around James Harden. Everybody thinks, oh, when it matters most, he's going to fall apart or he's not even going to care. And what I will say is, if James Harden cannot hold it together for 20-something games of regular season basketball and a postseason run with a team that is a clear contender on which he is the unquestioned top dog from the perimeter, he is exactly where he wanted to be, then, I mean, listen, he's a disgraceful competitor. Like, I... Don't think that's going to happen. If that were to happen, it would legitimately be like nothing we've ever seen in NBA history as far as just a superstar's inability to hold it together and just conduct himself like a professional. And, you know, maybe forcing himself out of two spots already is pushing that line historically, but I just can't even conceive of that actually happening.
1: Can I ask you exactly what you mean by hold it together? What do you mean exactly by that?
2: I mean, there is such a level of skepticism that it feels to me like a lot of people presume, oh, Harden's not going to keep playing like this. Okay. He's going to become unhappy. He's going to fall apart emotionally in some way. And I'm just saying, I can't see that happening.
1: I agree with you on that part. Do you mean at all fall apart as in, you know, his playoff misfortune, him his shortcomings in that regard at all too?
2: I mean, no, I'm talking specifically about him becoming disengaged or unhappy. I think that... Some of the stuff with his postseason production, theoretically, there could be, but I think that some of that is a product of him having to carry unbelievable offensive loads throughout an entire season on a lot of those teams. That's not going to apply here. I do think we have seen the free throw thing be real. Like, he does not generally get as many attempts from the line in the playoffs as he does in the regular season. He doesn't get as many calls. I mean, in his career, he's about one free throw attempt less per game when he actually gets to the playoffs but again that's not like a huge enough factor so I don't know I think that given the fact that he is so much about facilitating at this point and that he has such a prime situation to succeed offensively where there are threats all around him and there's space to work with and he doesn't even have to be the lead scorer he's in as good of a position as ever to just go out there and ball out in the playoffs and I do think that he will probably do that. And I think the Sixers are going to be absolutely terrifying. And I think, yet again, that they got all they could have wanted out of the Ben Simmons trade. I mean, this is a move that has single-handedly elevated them from very good team to, oh my God, everybody in the NBA should be scared of them. And that's the status that they're at right now. So we mentioned obviously one of the contenders out East, but even higher in the standings than them right now, are the Chicago Bulls, who have just continued to trudge along and win for the most part. They finally lost last night in a really tight one, but obviously the story has been DeMar DeRozan just playing unbelievable basketball two nights ago, I should say, was when they lost. He has scored 30 in, is it 11 straight games now? I mean, Mm -hmm. has firmly asserted himself into the MVP conversation, certainly as far as the just general discourse goes. So I will ask you, because obviously we are adamant believers in the brilliance of Nikola Jokic here. Joel Embiid is the MVP favorite at this point. Where do you think that DeRozan figures in to that MVP conversation at this point?
1: Well, first, because I'm an arrogant uh, POS, i just like to flex my muscle that the Bulls are still holding down uh, the two-seed out east, which does bolster DeMar's case. But I said the Bulls would win the east uh, very early in this season. I'm holding on
2: to that. I still think they have a chance. You also just talked about how you think they suck a week ago. Huh? No, you didn't say you thought that they suck, but you thought Oh, I think playoff time, I think the Bulls might unravel a
1: little bit, but I still think that— Oh, I mean, bro, they've also been on their last legs. Um— there's been a lot of complicating factors into my thoughts on the Chicago Bulls. Sure. But I still think they can win the East. Um, Yeah, I mean, DeMar definitely has an MVP case, and the people that are going to argue for it are, uh, I mean, most likely Bulls fans because they are sitting at two out East, and the Sixers are a lower seed right now. Giannis, because the Bucks have dropped to the five seed, um, you know, has kind of dropped out of that conversation. Yeah, I mean, DeMar's got a case um, – a league-leading, like you said, 34 points per game over these past 15 games. He's been unreal. Yeah. Six boards, six assists a night on 57, 45, 89 splits. That's genuine. I mean, that's crazy. That is stupid efficiency for a guy that operates so heavily out of the mid-range and so heavily from the perimeter and how tough it is for this guy to get his buckets. That is unreal efficiency. But I don't know. Like, I, you look at... What I boil it down to is always situation and how hard it is for the guys around him. For Embiid, you know, he's got Maxi and Harris. And for a lot of the stretch, he had Seth Curry. Now he's got James Harden to rely on, right? Mm-hmm. For DeMar DeRozan. DeMar, while his job is very tough, and while these guys have been kind of inefficient from behind the arc, he still has Levine and Vucevic to rely on to give them 20 a night concretely. He's got a lot of guys who are going to work their tail off And, you know, on the other end, in the Tristan Thompsons of the world, the Javante Greens, what does Nikola Jokic have? (laughs) The fellas. Monte Morris. (laughs) He's got Aaron Gordon, Will Barton, Bryn Forbes, Bones Highland, Jamichael Green, DeMarcus Cousins, Jeff Green, and Zeke Nagy, and Austin Rivers giving him valuable minutes a night. And so I don't care that they're the, what, they're the five seed right now out west? They're the six seed. They're I'd, tied for the five seed yeah, now, right? With the uh, with the T-Wolves, and they've won six straight. I still concretely think that... With the Mavs. Yeah, excuse me. I misspoke. Yeah, the Mavericks. I concretely still think that Nikola Jokic uh, is my MVP just because he's got the toughest job in basketball. Uh, I, I can pull up... I mean, I'm sure cleaning the glass will back this up. It's probably still an unreal uh, on-off number.
2: It's plus 20, basically, per 100 possessions. I mean, it's... Would be a top five mark by an MVP winner since they started tracking that stat, which was in 96-97. Well, thanks. I'll just clip it right there. Yeah.
1: What what Carson said.
2: Yeah. Perfect. I, I think... Here's what I'll say. I think very clearly DeMar DeRozan does not have a good MVP case. I don't think he has a good case to be a top two MVP candidate. So I'm interested in seeing where you fi- where you think he figures into the discussion more broadly than that, because that's what I think is interesting about this. But to anybody that does think DeMar DeRozan is the MVP, I think that you can pretty easily debunk that. And-
1: but before you debunk it, I will say also, DeMar has been one of the clutchest guys in basketball. I also do not think he has an MVP case, and I'll let you go ahead and break it down. Uh, DeMar has made a ton of big game-winning yeah. shots. Also because the Bulls can't hold on to a freaking lead in the fourth quarter, but... DeMar's been one of the clutchest guys in basketball
2: yeah I mean I think that that is probably a significant component driving the narrative is that he might have the most moments this year man just because of the amount of big time clutch shots that he's hit like the gap between him and everybody else in that respect this year is pretty darn significant and what he has done in this recent stretch dragging a team that has become significantly more injured obviously with the absences of Lonzo and Caruso Obviously, they haven't had Patrick Williams all year as well. And with Levine being out for a little bit, like the man has been utterly brilliant. And you said it, you're giving me 28-5-5 and overall this year on damn good efficiency, 60% true shooting. The guy is a phenomenal player offensively and I think has worked his way up to being like maybe the number 10 guy in basketball right now. I mean, given that Dame hasn't had a good season when he was healthy and now obviously he's been injured. Kawhi not factoring into the equation, AD being injured and not being all that spectacular. Like, Jamar has been a top 10 guy in the NBA this year. But there's still a gap, right? I mean, if we were looking purely at him as a scorer versus Embiid, well, I mean, he's producing less on worse efficiency. And then obviously you have the fact that he's not giving you really any positive defensive value and Embiid is giving you significant defensive value. And then Embiid is also on a team that has performed better when he's actually on the floor versus DeMar's team when he's on the floor. Jokic, you have the fact that as a scorer, Jokic is almost six percentage points more efficient in terms of true shooting. And as a scorer, is a couple points behind as far as raw output, but that's also because he's playing a few minutes less per game. And then... I mean, is obviously a different level of a playmaking engine, has more of a defensive impact, is on a team that has actually been significantly better when he is on the floor than DeRozan's when he is on the floor and is doing that with, regardless of the injuries to the Bulls, unequivocally less talent. There is not an argument for DeMar DeRozan in the top two. Like, he is simply not as good of a basketball player, not as impactful of a basketball player. And again, he's on a team that still has not performed as well as that of the top two candidates. So yes, their record may be better, and yes, the clutch shot making is legitimate from him, but I am an adamant believer that you hold people accountable for what happens when they are actually on the floor. And I've said this many times over, this is a specifically Jokic stat, but the Nuggets with him on the floor are better than any other MVP candidate's team with their lead guy on the floor, except for the Warriors with Steph. So there's really no argument there. Where I think it gets interesting is if you're talking about the three spot, because... I would have him and Giannis contending right there. And I think that, again, Giannis is a different level of basketball player and his raw production is surpassing him. His efficiency is surpassing him. His defensive value is surpassing him. Again, his team is better with him on the floor. Like, I still don't know if I can put DeRozan higher. Giannis has had a lot more help, but... I don't know, man. Like, he's just a significantly better basketball player with a more complete resume.
1: Yeah, I and I, I don't want to come off... I don't know, man. I always feel like we come off on this show, uh, if you guys are constant listeners, like, I just feel like we, we... I don't want it to come off as if we're selling DeMar short or discrediting him at all. Like, what DeMar's doing is unreal. Carson, when's the last stretch of a... Actually, uh, let's find the... Most consecutive 30-point games.
2: This is great podcasting. Great podcasting. Here's what I'll say.
1: I just, like, this is a historic stretch from him, but I completely agree on all fronts. He's probably fourth or fifth for me. I don't even know, like, yeah, he's concretely behind Giannis.
2: And, listen, we're not remotely anti-Demar. Like, unfortunately, what happens is people overreact constantly in sports and we are always prisoners of the moment and like I made a video with my top five players in the NBA and everybody was outraged that DeMar wasn't there and I was like whoa fellas I mean DeMar is a pure scorer yeah is really good still not as efficient as most of the other top five on the planet kind of guys and then in basically every other respect isn't giving me as much value defensively not close playmaking solid but like not immense impact there and so it's just about understanding the context. DeMar is having a career season. He is having an amazing season and is overcoming adversity and is rewriting narratives about his career and is doing so in a big time basketball market that has been waiting a long time for a team this good. Like all of these things are very true and they are all special and they all deserve to be celebrated. And we can do that without also saying, yeah, he's the MVP because he's been on a really good run and he's made some big shots and. I watch the Chicago Bulls more than I watch the Denver Nuggets or, you know, I'm bored of talking about Giannis at this level. Like, there's just a gap in basketball ability and resumes that we need to account for and understand. And so I don't want to be a negative Nancy, but sometimes it just feels like you need to be the rational voice and say, okay, let's walk this back a little bit because what about his tangible basketball resume and ability says to you, oh, he should be the MVP, I just don't think that there is one unless your argument is literally he's been the clutchest player in the NBA. And then I would say, well, there's 48 minutes in a basketball game, and I just don't think you determine somebody's value based on the last two. They're very important, don't get me wrong, but it's not like we're talking about clutch slouches around him, you know? Yeah, and another thing you talk about the narrative-based around it, you talk about the
1: Bulls popping out for a team. The Bulls are number one in attendance again because, well, the Bulls fans always show out, but, I mean, it has been overwhelming. Like, it's great. It's a great basketball city, and they have been, they've been dying for a contender since the, you know, the D. Rose days. Um, and, yeah, it's all nice, but I don't like going with the narrative. And if you talk about – I, I, I want to contextualize the streak that uh, DeMar has been on. I mean, there's only, like, three guys in the past couple years that you can point to that have been just as impressive – uh, 2021, Steph Curry had an 11 game run of 30 point games. DeMar's what? Is he at 10 or 11 right now?
2: I think he's at 11.
1: He's tied then for, in the last 40 seasons, the, uh, he's in the 10 spot tied with Steph, 9, uh, 87, MJ and Shaq.
2: I was wrong. He's at 10.
1: Okay. He's at 10. So he's in the 11th spot behind Steph, MJ and Shaq, but it's crazy. Like again, in the modern era, since 2000, the only guys that are on this list are Kobe, t mack Harden, KD... Shaq and Steph, and you limit that to perimeter guys, it's Harden, Kobe, T-Mac, KD, and Steph. And again, all of those guys are so much better than DeMar from behind the arc. That's what makes this all the more impressive is anytime you watch... Honestly, like, DeMar highlights or just DeMar to watch in-game is so special. It's so much fun because there are so few guys like him in the NBA today that operate so heavily out of that mid-range, and that's what makes it so damn impressive. But just because
2: it's Impressive does not mean I'll reward it over there. Um, Let me ask you this: Who would you have in your four spot? Maybe you have a different contender entirely. But do you think Steph has a stronger case or Demar?
1: It's kind of avoiding this one, bruh. That's a good question. Well, the how, question was: How many where games, does Demar Derozan yeah, figure into the MVP how many, conversation? How many games has uh, how many games has Steph missed?
2: Not many. He's played one less than Demar this year.
1: I'd probably give it to Steph. And it's tough, again, because they're both in the two spots out in their respective conferences, but uh, I would just reward... You can make the defensive argument against Steph. I would just reward Steph's off-ball value and value to winning offense. Again, you talk about players The defensive
2: argument, Steph's been a better defender than Demar this year. Really?
1: I would say so, yeah. Right. I mean, I know this is the best uh, defensive Steph Curry that we've ever gotten. I still didn't know if he was like an overwhelming plus on that end this season.
2: I would say he's a minor plus, but I would say Demar is like totally neutral
1: man okay well then Carson let's keep going down the line In
2: well let your, me just say well,
1: okay where would you have Demar over Steph then so this is very I, tough I got another guy we can throw out
2: again the run that tomorrow has been on is incredible his ability as a pure score is incredible but the thing is at the end of the day I mean yeah he's scoring two more points per game than Steph actually two and a half really on the slightly better efficiency. I think it's really close between the two of them because, yes, Steph has this tremendous overall impact on winning. Whoa, I'm about to cough. If you need some water, bro, you can get some. I'm going to get some water in a second here. I'm getting over a bit of an illness. So Steph has that in his advantage, and you see it with, like, the on-off numbers. You see it with how great they've been when he's on the floor. DeRozan does have the clutch shot making advantage, though. So, like, there's a bit of a give and take there. The raw production is pretty similar. It slightly favors DeMar. Man, it is really close. I Part of me wants to reward DeMar just for actually having the slightly better individual production because otherwise it's like, yeah, Steph is literally always going to have the argument of gravity and of his impact on team winning. And he deserves credit for that. You know, like, you can't just discount that. Like, that really, really matters. It's one of the reasons he's one of the greatest players ever. But there is value in actually, you know, making more shots and doing so a bit more efficiently. The margin just isn't that big between the two of them. I might give it to tomorrow over Steph right now. What's tough is Steph's team is better, and I don't know if he has had a better roster overall this year. Like, it's very close between the two of them.
1: My next guy, so I mean, if you're going to—it's kind of redundant us having this conversation. Um.
2: Well— Keep going down the line for you.
1: Uh, my next guy would be John Morant, and I was just going to ask if you would have him. I would probably give the nod to DeMar. Um, yeah. Just individual production. Also, I just kind of like the supporting cast in Memphis. They are a really deep uh, team. They've got an awesome rotation. Um, that would kind of be my debate. But, I mean, I think, is Jaw the next guy on your list? Is there anybody that we've left off? Maybe like a— I don't know, like, I don't know how any of the Suns guys factor into this, how a Chris Paul and Booker factor into this.
2: I think that DeMar is unequivocally in the top five to me. Like, Steph is the last spot where you're really having a debate. After that, it's like, Ja, I would really say the argument against him is sort of self-evident, and it's that the Grizzlies were so damn good without him, and they do have this just exceptional defensive foundation, and, like, the efficiency isn't on par with DeMar, so I think it'd be tough to argue for him. I don't think you can go beyond yeah, Steph. So DeMar DeRozan, to me, I think would be fourth in MVP voting for me right now.
1: Yeah, so I mean, you can, to put a nice bow on this, yeah, you can make the argument, you can you can make the case, because I do think DeMar is top five, and this run that he has been on um, has been exceptional, but no, DeMar DeRozan is is not my MVP. Uh Carson's getting some water. The last thing I would ask is if there's any way that DeMar could crack this. Like, if he just—because, I mean, you think back to James Harden's run in 2019 when he won MVP and he had 32 consecutive 30-point 30 games. And obviously that's out of the window just because I think it's kind of unreal. If DeMar got to, like, 20 games of 30 straight points or anything, does it bolster his case? Do you give him a little more of a nod there? Or are these factors always just going to
2: be too heavy to, to give him a nod? He's not winning MVP. I mean, I just don't see how he matches the resume of Embiid or Jokic, given the raw production and what those guys have done to elevate even if their rosters.
1: If the Bulls get the one seed.
2: If the Bulls get the one seed, and yet the Denver Nuggets have still been four and a half points per 100 possessions better with Jokic on the floor than the Bulls with DeMar, yeah. I don't think there's an argument. Like, I just don't. All right. So, we just did some talking about the guy who we both still think is the MVP in Nikola Jokic. And his team has been winning a whole lot as of late. People don't talk about it because people don't talk about him ever. But they've won six straight. They're tied for the five seed right now. And, obviously, they have been doing this all without their second and third best players, Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray. MPJ had that back surgery early in the year. It seemed initially like it might be season ending, but now... Looks like he's going to make his return next month. And Jamal Murray is still working his way back, but it does seem like we will see him at some point this season. So, given that, what do you think the Nuggets' ceiling is, Logan?
1: I'd probably say Denver's ceiling is second-round exit to the Dubs. I don't know. I just can't really conceivably see this team beating a healthy Golden State Warriors roster. Um (sighs) I really do think that the 6-5 and five seeds are highly coveted. It's going to be hard for the T-Wolves or Clippers to jump up to that spot because they're four games behind both of them. But in those scenarios, you're drawing a Jazz team that you can hypothetically do what the Clippers did to them and try to get uh, Rudy Gobert off the floor, stretch him out, shoot him to death from deep. Or you're drawing a Memphis Grizzlies team that is just at a severe lack of perimeter creation. And I know I, I like Desmond Bain. I, I like... Uh, Tyus Jones. You know, I like these guys. But Jaws the only guy who's going to concretely serve buckets. Um, So, the three to four matchups are very valuable ones to draw. And I think that the Nuggets can 100% handle the Memphis Grizzlies in a hypothetical matchup. So, I think that... I don't want to write Memphis off. I think it'd be a dogfight. I really do. Memphis plays hard. I think it'd be a really good series to watch. Um, So, I I think that they can 100% beat the Grizzlies. But then when you get to the Warriors... I just, there's too many hypotheticals for me with the Denver Nuggets for me to say that they can do anything else like make another Western Conference Finals run. You're asking for Michael Porter Jr. to be 90 to 100% and his job's not that tough. His job is to make jump shots. And so maybe that's your argument that, always his job is to knock down open jump shots. But the last time we saw him on the floor, I mean, he was averaging 10 points per game on really horrid efficiency. So... That's just a variable that I don't like. And then you're asking Jamal Murray, who has not played basketball in, what, over a year now? You're asking him to come back. And you need Jamal Murray to be a star. Yeah. You need Jamal Murray to come back and drop 22 to 25 a night to give yourself a chance. And this isn't just to beat the Warriors. That's to beat the Grizzlies. Like, you need him to be 20 points per game plus Jamal Murray. And I just, I can't see it happening. I just don't. Jokic is going to be as consistent as ever. I trust Jokic to be, to be productive. But I just, it's a little too hypothetical, and I just feel like you're asking a little too much of two guys who have not played in a long time, or coming off very major injuries, and you're asking them to play major roles in the playoffs. And so, in my opinion, uh, I think the ceiling for the Nuggets is a second round exit at best.
2: That's interesting. I mean, we are definitely talking about a lot of theoreticals here because we do not know exactly what these guys will look like. And like you said, they're coming back from major injuries and they're going to be really important. I also, though, don't want to understate how significant of a potential talent upgrade we're talking about. Man, my voice is going on me. Because, I mean, obviously, we've seen it throughout this entire year, but, like, their second leading scorer has been Will Barton. And... Again, with Jokic on the floor, they outscore opposing teams by 10 points per 100 possessions. And I just think their depth has so obviously been the thing holding them back. And you just push all of those guys into less significant roles. And you push a couple questionable guys out of the rotation. And you get down to your tighter playoff group. And you're only playing eight guys. And it's like, man, all of a sudden, your last guy off the bench is like, you know, Faku or... Bones, like it's actually really not bad at all. And your depth goes from being a clear weakness to like, hey, I really don't mind, you know, your four through eight because they're just playing different roles. Aaron Gordon, if he's your fourth best guy, whoo. I mean, he's been playing really good basketball. He just can't be your second best guy, just like Will Barton can't be your leading perimeter scorer. But if he's your sixth man, yeah, he's a pretty damn good one. Monte, again, is a really good secondary ball handler. So I don't know, man. I think that if we were looking at this team at maximum strength, you know, this would be a title contender. It's just what can we reasonably expe- expect from Jamal Murray? I mean, another debate,
1: if you want to throw in some spice on the argument, too. I mean, uh, the Nuggets are fifth in defensive rating over these last 15, too. Like, if they can, in theory, I mean, if they can keep up this defensive yeah. uh, effort and intensity every night, if they can hold... You are You don't need that much from Jamal and MPJ to get you over the hump if they are that good defensively when it comes playoff time.
2: Yeah, and I think that that's pivotal, is what defensive ceiling do they ultimately reach? Because, I mean, offensively, I think that they're going to be really damn good. They are really damn good as long as Nikola Jokic is on the floor, and if you add a great spot-up shooter, and no matter what Jamal is, I mean, he's going to become their best perimeter initiator the second he steps on the floor... That really matters and that is really scary. So honestly, dude, I could really see them winning a first round series and I could see them beating the Warriors. Like it's not inconceivable to me. And again, I don't wanna have this bias of, oh, well, Draymond hasn't been out there as of late and we know how great they have been. I believe it's 28 and six when Draymond plays this year. That's crazy and they're the best defense and a really good offense, but I just think like, Is there a world in which Steph just has an off-shooting series which, given this year, isn't as crazy unreasonable to expect as it may have been historically? Then it's like, okay, where is the other really high-level offense coming from? Like, there's a lot more that I like with the dubs. I like Jordan Poole. Yeah, it's just like that's scary, you know? When I know that Jokic is going to be the best player alive Mm -hmm. and I know that he's going to propel a great team offense and if they're locked in defensively, and if they have a couple other respectable options alongside him, you know, you can't take him away regardless. Like, you put him out there with doesn't matter who, you can't double the guy because dudes move off of him and they cut, and he just creates automatic great offense. So, I could see them beating anybody out West if they are fully healthy or not even like fully healthy, except for the Suns. I think that the Suns are too well oiled of a machine. And I think that, presuming again that Chris Paul is himself the Suns just have almost every conceivable advantage.
1: So, I mean, you think you think there's a, there's a window for them to get to the finals this year is what you're saying.
2: Uh, that's not what I'm saying. I just said I can't see them beating the Suns. Can you see
1: anybody else beating the Suns?
2: Yeah, I think the Warriors could beat the Suns. I mean, I think that the thing is, the Suns have such a high base level and the Warriors, to me, there's still a bit more of a swing factor where you don't know exactly what you're going to get offensively. But I think their offensive ceiling is tremendously high. I also think that Their floor is a bit lower and low enough to where, you know, if Jamal is able to just beat 85% of Jamal, and if MPJ is something close to MPJ, then the Nuggets play a really good series and I could see them catching them.
1: You don't think Utah can beat Phoenix?
2: I don't think that they are good enough defensively right now. I, I suppose that if they got there, you know, the shooting is scary, but I don't think that they have done enough this year to justify me really throwing that out there as the possibility. And again, the loss of angles really matters to me. I would say it's pretty unlikely.
1: Okay, so then my final question on the Nuggets will be then, is it a lock for them to beat Memphis
2: round one? No. It's not a lock. Well, I mean, you, just seem, you just seem really high on them. I, I, I think that... I think that they are a basketball team that is outscoring opposing teams by 10 points per 100 possessions when Nikola Jokic plays and their second leading scorer is Will Barton. And you could be adding one of the most efficient 19-point-per-game scores we've ever seen and one of the craziest off-ball weapons and pure shooters in basketball and a dude who last time we saw him in the playoffs scored better than 26 points per game very efficiently and was a damn good playmaker as well. That's what I'm seeing. And if you're asking me what's the ceiling there... I'd say it's pretty darn high. I don't know if I could say with tremendous confidence anything because, again, I don't know what these guys are going to look like, how healthy they're really going to be. But I will say MPJ doesn't need to be that healthy. You know, like As long as MPJ can move around, I mean, like I always say, the dude's had a bad back every second he's been on an NBA court. He just needs to be able to shoot the ball and move well enough without it. And uh, Jamal is more of the question mark to me, but they do have like enough playmaking and shot making from the perimeter by committee and pick and roll ball handling with Barden and Monte Morris there that I don't think they need superhuman Jamal I think the Nuggets can be really insane because I think they have the best player in basketball and uh, again you give him his second and third best pieces I think that there could really be something there all right so we talked a lot about the Nuggets right now who are obviously sitting as we said tied for that fifth seed just below them though We have a couple of teams that are scrapping and trying to stay in the right position for the play-in game where they would only have to win one to get into the actual playoffs. And it definitely looks like they'll do that because they have pretty comfortable advantages. And that's the T-Wolves in the 7th seed and the Clippers in the 8th seed. So let me ask, Logan, who do you think is scarier between those two teams? And we'll talk about the healthy Clippers here because Paul George is going to come back at some point.
1: The Timberwolves don't scare me. Uh, they just they just don't. And, and, like, I think most basketball fans will look at this point blank and go, oh, I like the three-headed offensive trio of Minnesota night to night a lot more. D'Angelo Russell has been playing such a great facilitating role for this team, moving the ball within the flow <clears throat> of an offense, playing unselfishly. This is the best pull-up jump shooting we've seen from Anthony Edwards. Although this recent stretch has been kind of tough for him. He's below 40% from the field, and uh, – uh, slightly below 30% from deep, so he's been struggling shooting over these last 15 games. And I mean, and then you've got one of the most offensively talented big men of all time. And I think a lot of people would look at this point blank and go, "Oh, I mean, the Clippers will have Paul George, and who else? You know, are we going to, or am I relying on Norman Powell to be my second guy?" So I think people will look at this and say, over the overwhelming offensive talent here in Minnesota, will clearly carry them to being a better team than them. I do not trust this Minnesota Timberwolves defense whatsoever, though, and that's what I'm going to keep coming back to. Like, I just think, I love Carl Anthony Towns. I think Carl Anthony Towns is one of the biggest defensive liabilities in basketball. He is atrocious defensively to me. Any highlights you watch, any game you watch. What? Oh, I mean, Cat is a massive liability defensively. No,
2: I completely disagree. I think Cat is is a perfectly fine defensive big, a slight plus at this. Cat sucks. How do you say that?
1: Uh, dude, I mean, you just watch guys back to work any switch and he is getting scored on because he's too slow to get back and uh, collect himself. And maybe I shouldn't put this all on Cat. Maybe they need another good defensive four alongside him. I, they I have think,
2: one. Jared, I mean, Vanderbilt. Jared
1: Vanderbilt. But he's not good at, he can't. He can't really impose on fives. No. I mean, dude, like he... Cat to me is, is too big of a liability defensively and I just think the Minnesota Timberwolves defense is so bad. Like, I just can't... When it comes playoff time, I'm just not going to bet on them to win. I trust the Clippers' defensive identity a lot more. And, I mean, that's that's kind of where I think this debate goes. Do you trust the Minnesota Timberwolves' offense? Or do you trust the Clippers' defense? And I trust the Clippers' defense to play staunch like they've been doing all season long with a healthy Paul George running the show. It's not great. I mean, the Clippers are going to get bounced in the first round no matter what if they don't have Kawhi Leonard out there. But, no, I mean, I just... I think the Minnesota Timberwolves defense sucks. And so I Wow. I just just really do not trust them at all. Like they have pieces too. I love a Pat Bev. I love Jared Vanderbilt. I love Tarion Prince. I like I love I like a lot of these individuals. I like Jaden McDaniels. I like a lot of the individual defensive pieces that they have, but this is not a good team defense, and it starts and ends with Carl Anthony Towns. And no matter unless I like the Timberwolves more if Anthony Edwards is at his peak and is playing efficient basketball. But he has not been doing that as of recently. So I'm just not going to bet on it. And again, I, I just do not trust this defense night to night. So I'm, yeah, I, I, I think I, I didn't expect even, I didn't expect uh, to say this coming into the show. But yes, I, I do like the Clippers uh, with Paul George more than I
2: like the T-Wolves. I just think you are really, really overstating the T-Wolves defensive issues and Cat's individually. I mean, the T-Wolves are an average defense. They have real legitimate pluses out there. And Cat this year, dude, like, I just don't really understand what you're saying. Like, I think he has good feet. I think he has good hands. I think that he gives effort at this point.
1: I'm not saying that. I just think that he is a nightmare. Um, He's a nightmare defender in the pick and roll. Like, he is a huge liability in the pick and roll. Like, he is just... I just don't agree. I, I don't really, I, I don't think that there's, and I just don't think there's anything you can do about it. I I, I think, I think Cat is, I, I just think his mobility really limits him as a defensive five.
2: I just, I just don't agree again. I mean, I think that he genuinely moves fine on that end. And again, he has good hands. And uh, I mean, as an interior guy this year, you know, he's, big and strong and has a 7'4 wingspan and is holding people I think like more than 6% below their average field goal percentage inside of six feet like to say that he is one of the biggest defensive liabilities in basketball is just not true it's just I mean, not even close to true then I'll, I'll just throw this I mean the Timberwolves play like the second worst defense in basketball
1: when he's out there in the floor and I don't want to solely individually attribute that to Carl Anthony Towns but it's true I mean they play like the second worst defense in basketball when he's out there Hey guys, this is Logan here in post. Uh, this fact is actually not true at all. Uh, the Timberwolves play like the 23rd worst defense in all of basketball with uh, Towns on the floor, and they play like the a top 10 defense when he's off the floor. I don't know. I, I really do think that I think Cat, I think Cat kind of sucks defensively.
2: I I strongly disagree. So
1: we're just gonna we just gonna have to go to a stalemate here. Yeah, I think. I don't know, man. I I don't really know. Like I don't even know if he can. I don't even know if he can reach a Jokic level of defensive ability at all. Like, I don't even know if that's on the table for Cat.
2: I mean, I think that he is, like, not there. But I don't think he's super far behind. I mean, it's a different role. But I just really think that you're being overly harsh on him. Like, I guess this is just going to be a fundamental disagreement. But I don't know how you can say a team 16th in defensive rating and that at times this year... You know, has flown around and been really good on the defensive end. To say that they're horrible there, that just doesn't make sense to me because they're just not. They're not, I'm not a horrible. Saying, I'm defense. not
1: saying the team. I'm not even saying that. Okay, you did say that though. Well, I think the T Wolves are an average overall defense. I think I when Cat is out there, I think they're an abysmal defense.
2: Okay, I disagree, but I also think that they're a really good offense because he's a freak talent offensively. So
1: where do you where do you come down on this side of the debate? Are you rocking with the T Wolves or are you rocking with the Clippers?
2: I think that it's a tough question because uh, we obviously haven't seen the fully realized version of this Clippers team. And I think that the PG we saw this year was not all that great. I mean, he was pretty darn inefficient. And also, obviously, we didn't see Norman Powell and he just fractured his toe, but he'll be back, I assume, for when you know it's really meaningful basketball again. And he is clearly their second best option on the roster now. So that really fundamentally changes the outlook of what their offense can be because their offense just hasn't been very good this year. I mean, they've consistently been like 25th or lower in offensive rating. They're 26th right now. That was the case when they had PG. That has been the case without PG. And that's in spite of the fact that they're still fifth in the league in three-point percentage. Like it's, and that's obviously been their identity in the past. They're not shooting nearly as high of a percentage as they did last year, for example, but that's because nobody is because shooting has just regressed across the NBA. So I think that their offense can and will be better than it was when PG was out there the first time around. And then I think defensively they are just so damn good. Like, I mean – They are 7th in defensive rating right now. I think they certainly are a top 7 defense in basketball. And because of that, and because of the fact that I think that PG is an offensive engine like the Timberwolves just don't have, you know, when he's dialed in, I mean, we saw what he was doing as a score and facilitator in the playoffs once Kawhi went down last year, and it was really damn impressive. And because of the secondary shot making they get from Norman Powell, because of the depth that they have on the wings, I think that I would go with the Clippers. But... You know, I do think there's an argument to be made for just the offensive trio that you do have in Minnesota and, you know, the level that they could reach there. And again, I think that they're fine defensively. Like, I don't think that you're looking at an abomination there. But at the end of the day, I just don't think they totally compare on that end. I don't like their depth quite as much. And I do think that the Clippers' offense is going to look very different than it did, Mm -hmm. than it has really all year. So I would go with LA. Look at that!
1: I just think it's funny. No, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I guess, I guess we're just gonna have to watch a T Wolves game together. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, sure. I, I want you to, I want you to see what I'm seeing. And again, I, I don't want to bag on Cat too much because in that same breath, while I talk about where he comes down on the fence defensively, I mean, I think the T Wolves with him on the floor offensively, yeah, play like the second best offense in the NBA. Like, it, it comes and goes. I just. I don't know I I think that I've just seen it too many times this year seeing him get caught up in the pick and roll and get exposed and when he gets switched out on the perimeter he just gets served a bucket like I just I I don't ever see Cat really becoming a defensive plus in his career and I think that's maybe what holds him and his teams back perennially
0: I
2: just think this is wild I just feel like he's so clearly progressed over the last two years I just don't think that It's true anymore. I don't think that he does hold his team back defensively. I think that he is a perfectly solid defensive big. So, I'm honestly really surprised to hear you talk about him this way. Like, I I did not know that you thought that (laughs) of Kat. (laughs) Okay. So, here's a question that is interrelated with this. Because we talked about how these are the two teams that it's overwhelmingly looking like are going to be in the play-in spots as the 7 and 8. The Los Angeles Lakers are the nine seed And that means that they will probably be in the plan Although they are getting a little bit scary close And everything is just a disaster for them right now They're six games below 500 And obviously you have the AD injury And he's still going to be out for another month it looks like And they have the second toughest strength of schedule Remaining down the stretch And they have a lot more away games and home games Like it's just brutal all around for LA right now Just broadly, would you pick them in a series, or not in a series, excuse me, in a play-in game against either of those teams?
1: It's tough, man. You know, I mean, if you harken back to uh, last year, I mean, the uh, Grizzlies and Warriors games, I mean, came down to, you know, like last possessions. Like, I think, no. No. I think the Lakers will have either imploded by then. And I, I don't like maybe are we asking the right question? Should the question be do the Lakers fall out of the, That is a question at this the, point of the play in and become a lotto team? Like I I I might honestly like the Pelicans more with McCollum out there now than I like the Lakers. They're just a more cohesive unit. And then Man, I am damn sure not picking the Portland Trail Blazers to make the play in over the LA Lakers. So I think the Lakers are in. Although it is a possibility, and I think we need to address that. In a one game, in a one game playoff between the T-Wolves and the Clippers, I'm probably not taking the Lakers just because I don't know, man. That actually, honestly, guys, to peek behind the curtain, to, to look into my brain right now, the only dilemma I'm having is if I think that LeBron can go for 40, 10, and 10 in these individual games and carry him over the hump. That's a real possibility. I would not pick it, though. I think the Lakers are a hot goddamn mess. Yeah. I think that LeBron has done a very piss-poor job of leading this group. Um, I think he's done a horrendous job of roster construction. I think that 80s injury now that he's... I, If AD is out there, maybe there's a chance. I don't care, though. I will not be picking the Lakers to win anything. And honestly, as a big-time hater, I hope somehow the Portland Trailblazers get hot and the Lakers end up getting the boot out of the play-in. Because I just they're also one of the most thoroughly unlikable teams in the NBA. So, yeah, honestly,
2: I hope that this isn't even a discussion come play-in time. The Lakers suck right now. There are not very many things that they do well as a basketball team. If they have Anthony Davis, you know, it's tough to look at that and think that they lose in a one-game scenario to one of these teams. I mean, it's not that tough. (laughs) You know, they've given lots of reason to think that, but there is still the instinct to just say, man, those two, if they're clicking, it's just such a force. And, you know, you have shot-making with Malik and Melo and, like, I nope. don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And, and nobody else, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that they deserve the benefit of the doubt. And so even with AD, who would be fresh off of an injury, I don't think that I would pick them. I don't know. It's really tough. I mean, against the T-Wolves, dude. I don't know, man. It's LeBron and AD, like, and the T-Wolves, as much as I love their dogs who scrap, like, you know, there's a lot of worlds in which d and Ant just have rough shooting nights, and then it's like, you know, they don't have that many other real impact guys, and you're going up against LeBron and AD. I don't know. But you know what? I refuse to give the Lakers the benefit of the doubt, so we'll keep it short, I would say. No, I would not pick them over either of those teams in a play-in situation right now.
1: You know, I think we'll wrap Lakers' talk on that. Two years ago, I didn't think that my finals prediction could get any worse preseason-wise. I picked the Boston Celtics to win the NBA Finals, and then they proceeded to play like a 500 team during the season. And what, I think they got bounced in the, uh, what, second round?
2: Are we talking about last year? Two years ago. No, they got bounced in Two the Two years ago ECF. was when they lost to the Heat in the Conference So you know finals. what?
1: Maybe that actually wasn't a horrible one. Or, no, no. They were my pick last year. That's where I messed up. They were my pick last year. I didn't think it could get any worse. And then this year, I picked the Los Angeles Lakers to win it all. I just think it's funny. Man, I don't know what I was... What was I off back then to think that, the, that this was going to work? I feel like such a fool.
2: I picked the Nets over the Jazz. I mean, you know, that's not great.
1: I just, why did I ever, everybody told me.
2: You told me. My dad told me.
1: I think my dad may have called me an idiot point blank. He was just <laughs> like, yeah, Logan, that was a terrible decision. Yeah, I don't know why, why in the world I, I ever thought this would work. I just thought that LeBron and AD were just going to be so dominant again that I could, ca- I just put my faith in, in the wrong guys. You know, I put my faith in Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis, a guy who just cannot stay healthy
2: there's a lesson in life there (laughs) never trust Russell Westbrook all right so we are officially nope that's not true I was about to say we're officially in the month of March that's not the case it's February 28th as of the time of recording this but regardless it's college basketball intensifying time you know we're getting to the part of the year where college basketball really matters so given that Logan we're gonna do just a smidge of draft talk we love it here at NerdSesh we haven't done As much this year, honestly, I haven't been able to spend as much time really studying this class as I probably would have liked to or as I would have last year at this point. But we do have a really strong top three. And obviously, last year, we had a phenomenally strong top three. And we're pretty amazed by what those guys did. And that was Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, and Jalen Green. This year, it's Chet Holmgren of Gonzaga. It's Paolo Boncero of Duke. And it's Jabari Smith of Auburn. So Logan, we'll talk about each of those guys, but just overall, do you think the top three guys this year are even better than the top three we saw last year?
1: Mm, let me put it this way: I think that these three guys. No, actually, I won't even say that. No. Oh, <laughs> I don't. I <laughs> put was it that say, way. I was going to say that I think I thought these guys could could maybe come in and be a little more effective off the bat. I love the long-term prospects of this year's draft class way more than I like the long-term prospects of the big three here. I like I like the long-term for Cade. I like the long-term for Suggs. I like the long-term for Green. I like the long-term for Scotty, And I love the long-term for Evan Mobley. So, off the bat, I think they these top three may be just as productive as those guys have been to start off this uh, season. But I think long-term, I, I think... 2020 is going to be leaps and bounds better um, than the top of this class.
2: Interesting. All right, let's sort of go guy by guy here, okay? I think last year's class I thought of a bit more highly. And that's not to say anything negative about this class, because let's just keep in mind what I said about last year's class. I said Evan Mobley was the best prospect I'd ever seen, I said Kate Cunningham was the best scoring slash playmaking combo prospect that I could really remember and you know keep in mind when I say ever seen I really mean like since last half decade maybe a little bit longer because you know I'm a young man and I wasn't (laughs) super dialed into what Kyrie and AD looked like as prospects and I said that Jalen Green was the best pure scoring prospect since Brandon Ingram if not further back in that case so like I thought very very highly of that class this year I think that if we are talking about the number one, in my opinion, and there is no consensus on who the number one guy is right now, you will see all three of these dudes thrown around in that top spot. We talked about him a little bit very early in the college basketball season, but I think Chet Holmgren is probably going to be my favorite prospect, surpassing Mobley as far as like that I've ever really evaluated. Like the production is really impressive from a college freshman at what was Very recently, the number one team in the country, putting up fourteen 10, and 2, and and 3.5 blocks a game. The efficiency is just unbelievable. 73% on twos, 44% on threes, 75% from the line, projects well there. And I just think it's kind of an unparalleled skill set. Like, Mobley had this ability to do everything defensively, so switchable, so long, so good on his feet, could protect the rim at such a high level, and then offensively, you saw just you know, doses of all this really impressive skill, ball handling and jump shooting and passing and all that. I just think Chet has all of that, but even more so. I think he's a better natural shot blocker. I mean, the length with him is absolutely insane. Again, three and a half blocks a game, dude. And I think that offensively, you're talking about a guy who is equally dynamic as an athlete and I think is quicker I think handles the ball even more comfortably. I think is clearly a better pure shooter and is maybe not quite as good as a passer. Mobley is an exceptional passing big, but I think he's a pretty darn good passer too. Like I just look at Chet and I think defensively, he is going to be a game-changing player for a lot of his career because he can guard on the perimeter and the interior at such a high level. And offensively, you know maybe he's not ever going to be a post hub 25 point per game scorer but he's going to be a floor spacing big who can also roll to the bucket and dunk over people like and attack closeouts at a really high level like i just don't know how he isn't a super efficient 18 20 point per game scorer on offense who is then an all-world player defensively the argument against him being an all-world player defensively would be well he's 195 pounds, and what does that look like against Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic or Jonas Valančiūnas And I say, you know, that's why he starts as a power forward and we'll see if he can grow into his frame at all. It's not really a frame that makes you think he's going to bulk up a ton. I'll be honest. Like, he will bulk up. That's what happens. I don't think he's ever going to look like AD. You know, I don't think he's ever going to make that kind of leap. And maybe that holds him back a bit. But, I mean, so then he's a really good big defending the perimeter and is like one of the best help side rim protectors in the NBA. And the only limitation is that he can't guard true superstar fives who not many guys can guard anyways. I don't know. I just don't see lots of downside.
1: I think long-term you're wasting Chet Holmgren if you don't play him at the five. Um, Okay. But I'm
2: saying, if what if he's 195 pounds, what if he's 210 pounds? He's
1: not Holmgren is going to get to 220, 230. And I think you can take that to the bank. Like, Holmgren is going to bulk up. He is going to be competent enough to wear. And, and like I said, I, I just think you're wasting him if you're not running him at the five. Like, you talk about it. He's super versatile. He's super switchable. He's super mobile. And he's smart. I want this guy anchoring my defense. I want this guy making decisions on the fly. He just knows where to move. He knows where to be. And to your point, we have seen it this year um, with, with his lack of frame. We have seen him get beat up in that Duke game. Paolo kind of took it to him. Uh, just because Paolo's bigger than him, but he's got great defensive footwork with a seven six wingspan. He is going to be an elite rim protector. Like I, I don't know. I want this guy anchoring my defense. Uh, I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, I think Chet is probably my favorite prospect that I've ever seen, um, and I think you kind of laid out exactly what I project him to be as well. Eighteen to twenty a night. He's going to give you 10 to 12 boards. He's going to be an elite rim protector. He's going to be an elite defender. And he's going to do it damn sure efficiently. I don't think he has the kind of offensive game where I project him to be a 25 point per game score. I just, you just see it. But the efficiency, he's shooting 62% from the field and 44% from behind the arc. And that's a big part of why I like Chet boarding these other two guys. A few things. I see a different kind of smoothness and polishness with his game than I do with these other two top guys, and what I mean by that is, like, he gets into the lane with ease because of his strides, and there's just a there's just an effortlessness th- that comes with his game because of how tall and how big he is, man. The shots in the lane, the turnarounds, it, it kind of looks like a little bit—this is a stereotypical guy because he's a skinny guy, but because— Kind of like KD. And I just mean that in the sense of how effortless. I don't mean that he's a KD-like scorer.
2: Can I just say this? I think that's the worst thing that anybody can ever do to Chet is say that he is reminiscent of KD or that he has uh, guard-like skill. No, 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 please.
1: I'm not saying that. Okay. Well, I'm I'm not 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 talking
2: about you then because this is a universal comp. It gets thrown out there all the time. And I would just like to speak on that for a moment because I think it's very problematic. You don't compare Chet Holmgren to a wing people, not Logan, people. He's not a wing. He's a big man, and he is going to be among the most offensively skilled big men in the NBA. He is not Kevin Durant. He doesn't have to be Kevin Durant because he is a big man who does insane things defensively and can legitimately shoot 40% from deep. But like, no, he's not going to have the pull-up jump shooting game of Kevin Durant. But I mean, you know, he'll be better than... Almost every big man in the NBA at it. And what I mean by that is I don't mean the pull-up.
1: What I mean specifically is in the lane, the turnaround. Like, his length, it's just so smooth in there, how easily it is for him to put up shots on the low block. He lacks a great handle. But again, like, that's, again, that's another big distinction. KD's handle is silky smooth coming out of He's Texas. not
2: Kevin Durant. Nobody he's, will ever be Kevin Durant. He's not
1: KD. But he doesn't need a great handle because of how long he is and how long his strides take him into the lane. He also, comparable to Paolo and Jabari, He has got a kind of bag in the lane where he has spin moves and Euro moves and, like, uh, stuff that he turns to to get to the rack. A little floater, too. Yeah. So, I think another big thing, why he's so efficiently, because of his arms, he dunks and finishes around the rim so much more effortlessly and efficiently than these other top two guys. And so, I just think, I think Chet's the shit. If you want a good player comp, uh... Uh, again, I, I do want to say here in this as well, I think he does need to fill out his frame to max him out. That's the one thing that's going to limit him. Uh, I, I comped him to Evan Mobley or a more mobile Christophe Porzingis. And I think with Porzingis, I think he showcased a lot of stuff. I think Porzingis kind of lost a lot of what he did because he wasn't the guy in an offense when he went to Dallas and also just the injuries, which maybe are a bit of a concern with Chet too, just because of guys with this kind of frame. But those are my comps. It's either Mobley or a more mobile Porzingis, um, who's going to be way better defensively because he's, just, he's smarter, he gives more effort, and he's just more mobile. And so those are my two guys. that That's who I think Chet really reminds me of.
2: Yeah, I think but those are reasonable
1: comps. He's my number one, though. I think it is Agreed. a no-brainer. I think you have to take Chet number one. I think he is a just... He is a winning basketball player, and
2: I I think if any team passes on him, I think they are foolish. Okay, so we agree on who's number one. Who would be your next guy out of these three? I'm going to be honest. I I don't
1: really like Paolo or Jabari all that much. Um, I guess I would say Paolo is probably
2: my next favorite. Okay, just I want to clarify. When you say you don't like them that much, like, contextualize that. In the scope of what? Um, compared to the two and three guys from last year, compared to a typical both. two and three compared, guys. Compared
1: to Chet, compared to typical two and three guys, compared wow. to last year's draft, I do not like Paolo and Jabari as much as uh, I like the rest of this. And, and I'll give reasons. I think Paolo is going to be a winning player. I just don't think he's a star. Um, Paolo's really unselfish. Uh, they run a lot of offense through him on the elbow, on the low block, and he's good at making decisions off of there. Like, I. I like Paolo as a guy that you can you know, fit into the flow of an offense. I don't think Jabari is a guy that fits well into the flow of an offense. I'll get into that. Um, Paolo's just unselfish, and I think his game is kind of prehistoric in the sense that uh, they, the offense that they run through him on the low block, don't get me wrong, he's a stretch big. He's got a really smooth jumper. Um, but where he gets most of his assists from, it's not from the perimeter. It's from drawing a big off of him and dumping it to the big man. So I don't think he's like a great playmaker but he's unselfish and he makes good decisions when he has the ball in his hands. Um, There's just, there's limitations, I think, to his offensive game too. He's not really an impactful and forceful finisher. He is only 19 and that's the thing. He's super athletic. He's 6'10", he's 250. He can become better on the interior, but right now he is not a really good finisher at the rack. Um, Most of his offense is going to come from his jumper and I just think, the re- another reason I don't really like Paolo as much as these other guys is I just think his impact at the next level is so heavily dependent and I can say this for Jabari too it's so dependent on that three point shot pull-up jumping uh pull-up shooting and his turnaround game and I just think I believe in Chet's pull-up a little more I believe in his not his pull-up I believe in his perimeter shooting a little more and Paolo's I just have questions he's at 31% this year he's a good free throw shooter though um and at the end of the day, I think he's kind of a tweener, Carson. I think he's kind of stuck between being a four and a five. I don't really want this guy anchoring my defense.
2: He's not a, I, I he's a four. And,
1: and I just think, I, I think Paolo at the end of the day is a complimentary guy. I don't think he is a lead guy on an NBA team. I think Paolo can be a really good number two. I think he'd be a really good number three, but he is not a, a number one. Um, my player comp is a right now is a more efficient Julius Randall. Um, I trust his jumper a little more than Julius's. Um uh, but just I don't know, man, for a guy that has this size, and again, this can come with time. He's only nineteen, he just does not get his downhill as, as much as I'd like, and he's not really great at finishing through contact. So right now I think Paolo's a more efficient Julius Randle with better decision making, who's not as much of a black hole. I like the unselfish tendencies, but if you if you're thinking that you're getting a lead guy in Paolo, I just don't think you are. I just don't think he is a lead guy.
2: I think that's a very harsh assessment of Paolo I mean this is a college freshman who is 6'10 250 is a pretty darn good athlete I don't really disagree when you say he isn't a powerful finisher I mean is he maybe a little bit relying on the jump shot right now perhaps but he's also I think you know doing more initiating from the perimeter than he probably would at the next level like I think maybe that's not true actually but He'll also get better at that. I just think he is an incredibly versatile talent. Like, to have that blend of size and power and exclusiveness and basketball skill. I mean, the dude is a freak pushing in transition. He has a legitimate pull-up jump shooting game. I mean, he is a tough shot maker. And in that respect, yeah, you do get, like, shades of Julius Randle from last year. And... Again, I disagree on like some of the finishing through contact and stuff. I think that he can kind of bully people, and I just is don't... that going
1: to work at the is that going to work at the next uh, level? Bro, he's 6'10,
2: 250, and a damn good athlete with a lot of basketball skill. I like, think
1: that he struggled a lot against fives at the college level, and I think that's going to continue.
2: What do you mean against fives? Like in what contact? Attacking the rim? Yeah. I just think you're being really overly critical, dude. I think Paolo is a damn good prospect. I think he's a legitimately good passer. Is he a,
1: is he a lead guy?
2: Uh I mean I think it'll depend on the offensive context. I think that he has the potential to be a absolute star player offensively. I honestly would be surprised if he's not an offensive star. Like I think that he is the not a tweener 4-5. I think he is more of the hybrid 3-4 like the big wing, you know, kind of like if you think about a Miles Bridges. Where you have that ability to be a dynamic role man, but you also can really create from the perimeter and you have the pull-up jump shooting and you can be a driver and you can playmake some, but he's bigger and stronger. Like that to me would probably be the comp.
1: That's honestly a pretty good one at his peak. I think a better playmaking and facilitating one. I'm also... I don't know. Because of his unselfishness, I didn't do this comp. A comp that I did come to first off... Um, and I went with Randall just because Randall has proven that he could be a decent playmaker. I'm not going to lie, bro. My first comp was actually Jabari Parker. And uh,
2: that's very disrespectful. Yeah, it,
1: it Maybe. And again, I...
2: I mean, what if Jabari Parker was a way better athlete and playmaker and defender? Then maybe. I
1: mean, I think he's just... I think... Jabari to maximize, was hideous. I think to maximize Paolo, like I think... I just have more questions about his jumper. Like, I think he has to be an elite jump shooter to really maximize, and I just don't know if I can expect that at the next level. And I also, like...
2: He's a college freshman. I mean, yeah. the amount of things that he can theoretically do are insane. Like, this is a dude who can initiate your offense from the perimeter or the post or off the roll. Decently. And he's a college freshman who is the primary guy on one of the best teams in college basketball.
1: You're right. I'm thinking about just how it projects to the next level. And I just think at his best, I think Paolo's a two or three on a winning team. I don't think you're going to be a winning team if Paolo's your number one. And I'll say that right now, whatever he becomes. I don't think Paolo is going to be a number one guy on a winning team.
2: Man, I'd, I just, I'd take that to the bank, too. I, I just think you're way too comfortable making assertions about a college basketball player. Like, all these guys have ranges of outcomes. We don't know what any of these guys are going to look like, you know? Jalen Green, it felt like it was going to be a bona fide 25-point-per-game score. Very well could be, but, you know, it's been a slog for him this year. Like, I just think when you're talking about projections, it's tough to have that level of confidence in a negative direction about a guy with Paolo Bonchero's kind of talent, like... I don't know, man. I think, again, he can play a ton of different roles for a team, and we will see how he grows into his game. We will see how he's utilized at the next level, but I think he's a pretty damn good prospect. I don't know if I like him as much as any of the three guys from last year, but you know, that's because last year's draft was insane. I mean, if we're comparing him to top guys in recent drafts, he's... Probably a better prospect than anybody was in 2020. Like, if we're not looking back with rose colored glasses, all those guys were deeply flawed. Over Cer- certainly better than RJ, bro. We didn't, I mean, those guys were deeply flawed prospects. Deeply flawed. LaMelo shot 25% from deep, was one of the least engaged defenders who we'd seen. Like, there were a lot of questions about his game. Ant really struggled to score efficiently. And, you know, it was like, okay, is he going to be a fine playmaker? Like, I liked them both, but they had serious questions. And, you know, I like him a lot more than I liked RJ. I like him more than I liked Bagley. Like, I just think, you know, he's he's a damn good prospect, dude. Um,
1: I also, I mean, I just, I don't like Duke guys in general. I'm going to keep it a buck, too. Maybe that's part oh. of my personal bias and all this. I don't like Duke guys.
2: Okay. I think that most of America probably doesn't. All right. Let's talk about Jabari. What are your thoughts?
1: I've been trying to come up with a good comp for Jabari, and, like, there's a lot of things that I don't like about him. Um, uh, My player comp, I went with trash Jason Tatum. Trash? (laughs) Maybe I should go with mid-Jason Tatum. Like, I, what Logan, I mean, you might be
2: the lowest man on this top three in America.
1: Maybe so. Um, I think he's like mid-Jason Tatum. And what I mean by that is he's not a guy that doesn't really get downhill a whole lot. He routinely settles for lane pull-ups, tough contested jumpers. He doesn't really utilize you know, stuff in the lane to get to the rack. He just will say, oh, this guy got in front of me. I'm just going to go ahead and pull up. Yeah. And in those scenarios, it's like bro you're becoming a a bit of a black hole on offense. You're zeroing in on the basket when I'd rather you just pass the ball, you know, and Jabori's also only 18. There's a lot of room to grow. There's a lot of things to like. He's shooting 42% from behind the arc. He's shooting 81% from the line. Um, I think he has the athletic tools to become a really good defender. I don't really see him give the effort a whole lot um, defensively. I like his mentality. Jabari plays hard, and he kind of wears his heart on his sleeve, and I really do like that aspect of it.
2: You don't think he gives effort defensively? I
1: think he gives some effort. But like I think he's a there's, dog. There's some possessions uh, where he takes off. Um, my biggest thing is he just he doesn't have great touch. He isn't too physically imposing right now to overpower big men. Like He doesn't really have t- super great touch in the lane, and he just settles for way too many contested jumpers for my liking. Um again, a lot of things I like. He's 6'10", 220, long frame, 7'1 wingspan. Again, is a he's a shooter from deep. Um but if he's your primary guy in an offense, he is a he's a bit of a black hole and I just don't like him settling for a lot of jumpers. So I don't think he has the skill of a Jason Tatum by any means, but in terms of his play style, I've been trying to come up with other ones, man. I don't really know a guy that like old Antoine Walker. I, I don't know, man. Wait? I don't know. Antoine Walker. I guess I'm going with mid-Jason Tatum right now, and that's that's my player account for Jabari. So, no, I, I, I honestly, Carson, I think Paolo's a winning player. I would be fine taking him with the second pick. Um, Jabari kind of has a few too many red flags because of his play style on offense. If you're looking to run offense through him, um, I might stay off of Jabari. I, I like Paolo, and I, I really like Chet. I think Chet's a home run. I think Paolo can be a winning player. Um, Jabari, uh, because of his play style on offense, I'd probably stay off of him. Wow.
2: This is crazy. I mean, I just think that, again, you're looking at an 18-year-old, and I don't disagree with his, with your critiques of his game. And if you're talking about, yeah, how does he project as a lead offensive weapon, sure, I think that they're fair. I would just say, first of all, you know, we'll see how his game grows. But also I don't think that he has to be a lead offensive weapon to be a damn good basketball player Like I agree with you the reliance on the tough jump shooting is a problem He shoots 44.6% on twos Not a crazy explosive first step The handle's okay You know it would have to be better He turns his back to the basket a lot And like he's a little bit scared of getting into traffic And getting into the lane and all that And you know he looks like a 6'10", 18 year old and uh, we'll see how he develops in that respect so I agree he is also though I will say really good at drawing fouls on jump shots like he has a good understanding of when guys are infringing on his space he's got like the rip through like stuff that you know you don't often see from 18 year olds but I mean I don't think we should undersell how insane of a shooter of the basketball this guy is like I think one of the crazier shooting prospects that we've seen at 610 on or off ball I mean He's 42% from deep. He is a beautiful, elite weapon as a shooter. And even with the tough jump shots, dude, like, they're not good shots. And he definitely misses a lot of them. But he also makes some where you're just like, damn, that is a big-time bucket.
1: And that's the thing about Jabari is, yeah, watching some of this tape, I'm like, holy shit.
2: You know what I mean? Like, how did you
1: make... It's such a tough shot. But I don't like guys who shoot those shots.
2: So my take is just that shot diet is going to change significantly in the nba i don't think he's certainly not going to come into the league and be asked to be a lead guy and you know if he ever is going to be that then yeah he's going to have to find a way to get downhill more he can't be as reliant on those really tough shots but i mean you give me that shooting and you give me a guy with a really good defensive tool bag you mentioned the length good lateral mover good instincts and hands averages more than a steal and a block a game Super switchable. I mean, can guard out on the perimeter very easily and can bring you some of that, you know, help rim protection. Like, I just think there is monster 3 and D potential. Like, insane. Like, this guy could be the best pure 3 and D player in the league kind of potential without having that star individual shot making as well. But, you know, I mean, again, it's like, we'll see how his handle develops from here. If he can just get a really good pull up mid range shot making game with that kind of pure shooting from beyond the arc and that kind of defensive tools you know that could be a star player but I honestly can't see how he isn't at least a high impact 15 to 18 point per game kind of guy plus defender 40 percent three-point shooter and you know again he's a competitor he's a guy who seems to have the right mentality like I would buy in on him buying in to the right role and so you know I wouldn't take him number one because, again, I'm not as confident in a super high offensive ceiling. I think he's the third guy for me, but I think he's a damn good prospect.
1: It's interesting when you put it that way. If he was willing, and I think that's a great role for him. You know, with a versatile three or four who can, you know, clamp up on defense and knock down open threes. Yeah. If he can commit to that, I think it works. But I also think part of his mentality is—I don't know, again— it's all on how he perceives his role on the team. I just 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 I just don't like him. I just wish I saw a few more times where he got stuck at the elbow and decided, I'm going to kick it back to my guard and we're going to reset on offense. Yeah,
2: I agree. But again, I just think the thing that's important to consider is all of these guys, except for Chet actually, but... They're the best player on their team and they're college freshmen and they're on really really good teams But you know, it's like there's it's just such a different situation They're just in such a different level of their basketball progression than where they'll be in five or seven years and so I just think it's tough to make harsh assessments because it's like yeah, you know Auburn wants him to be their lead guy And that dynamic might not necessarily be the same in the nba
1: We'll see how it plays out. Um I like the shooting, I like the defense, but I, I, I am off I'm off Jabari for that reason.
2: Man, dude. I mean the shooting is insane. I don't like the shooting. I look at the shooting and I think, Holy shit, like that's crazy. Interesting.
1: Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this ages is, you know, one of my worst takes all the time. We can just add it to the we can add it to the list. Um I, I am off Jabari. I, I like Paolo a lot. Like I said, man. I think Paolo has got I think he can be the second or third guy on a really good freaking team. Um Jamari just scares me in becoming that black
2: hole on offense, man. Interesting. Very interesting. All right. So, we both agree we don't think quite as highly of this top three as last year's. You think more lowly of it than I do. I think it's a pretty damn good top three, and we both think Chet's the number one guy. So... I'm sure we'll come with more draft thoughts soon. It will be fun to see all these guys in the tournament because, again, I mean, they're all on really good teams. Like, they're on top-10 caliber kind of teams, which is very fun because we'll see them play some really meaningful high-stakes basketball as very prominent guys on their teams, and that's going to be a lot of fun. So, appreciate you guys tuning in today. As always, a blast talking to you all. If you enjoyed this content, the good news is there is plenty more like it. You can check us out. Live doing the pod Mondays and Wednesdays on Twitch and Twitter at nerd underscore sesh on both of those. You can also normally hear us Fridays live at 5 p.m. Eastern on blazeradioonline.com. Not this Friday though, not next Friday or the Friday after that. So just don't worry about that for right now. We're only doing shows Monday and Wednesday this week because Logan is going to be heading out of town on Friday. So you can also find us on TikTok at nerd sesh. That's where we're pumping out tons of content trivia stuff quick takes check all that out instagram is the same at and you can just listen to the pod wherever you get your audio content spotify apple etc you can find us on youtube as well with that as always i've been carson brabber
1: i've been logan camden
2: and this was the